following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. And it is awesome to be together today. Um, what a better place to be on Christmas Eve than to worship in God's house, to celebrate uh, this promise that we have been given, the hope that is ours uh, in Christ And so I'm excited this morning to talk about this hope again, that we've been looking at hope and we have discussed uh, over the course of these weeks together how hope differentiates itself, Christian hope differentiates itself from the worldly hope. Worldly hope is a wish. I bumped into one of my son's friends uh, at the kangaroo uh, yesterday And uh, he and his sibling were in there, and he was incredibly excited. And I looked at him, and I said, so what's going on? And he didn't hear me. And then he goes, I'd like three of the pick six and two of the rub fours and all. He was buying lottery tickets. And I looked at him, and I said, lottery tickets, really? He goes, I turned 18 today. This is awesome. (laughs) And I thought, there's a picture of a wish. That's the world's hope. I hope that by giving away my money on a uh, voluntary tax to the government, somehow the government is going to relinquish control of millions of that and give it back to me. (laughs) That's cultural hoping. But that's what the world gives us, a wish. That maybe if I'm good enough, and if I don't do enough bad things, and I do enough good things, uh, that I hope I get to heaven. Because it's interesting that the majority of Americans believe in heaven. The majority of Americans believe that there is a life after death. And the bulk of those same individuals who wouldn't necessarily classify themselves as evangelical Christians, but would classify themselves just as theists, say that I think I'm going to go to heaven based upon the fact that I'm a good person. And we live most of our lives within this sliding scale of confidence and terror, Today I did well. Today I'm a good person. Today I didn't do these bad things, so I hope God is going to love me. Oh, no. I messed up. I blew it. Any of y'all blow it this week at some level? Any of y'all lie this morning? (laughs) That's the rest of you who didn't raise your hands. Because we've all blown it at some level, either by God's standard or by our own standard. We've messed up. And so we go, oh, no. What am I going to do? Uh, about this. Well, I hope that God just is nice at the end of the day, that his niceness uh, outweighs his justice and holiness. Well, Christian hope is absolutely different from that. What we've been talking about and what I want to present to you uh, for the first time today, if you are new here, is the fact uh, that Christian hope is a surety. It, it is secure. Uh, it isn't wishful thinking. It is something that we say, I hope in God. That means I've placed my entirety of faith. Hope and faith are very close neighbors. They, they live together in that, and there are simple nuances within it. Uh, but hope is this deep and profound understanding. We've said that it is an anchor to our soul, uh, which holds us fast, uh, which is held by Christ, anchored to him and into the very promises of God. And this imagery that I've had in my head over the last couple of weeks is this picture uh, of Christ, our high priest, that is Christ, the one who goes before the Father uh, and speaks on our behalf and presents a sacrifice on our behalf. 
that he has a rope around him. But as we talked about last week with the Old Testament imagery, it's not that just in case he dies, they can pull him out of the Holy of Holies, the sacred place. It's so that he, ripping the veil, now pulls us in. That by that rope being held to him, he is drawing us into the very presence of God. And in the presence of God, we have confidence and assurance. We have a peace. We have joy. We're going to talk about some of those things and next week talk about them more fully. And so we've seen that this Advent is that of hope. And what we're going to look at today, looking at Titus, a little bitty book on the far right-hand side of your Bible, written by Paul. We're going to look at the first four verses and again see that we hope in something. And here it says that we hope in eternal life. So let's ask God's blessing upon the reading of his word, for this is no ordinary book, but this is God's word given to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words preserved for us. We ask now for your spirit to speak to us, to convince us, uh, to humble us, and to encourage us by this word that you have given. Speak now for your servants. Listen. This is the very word of God. Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge in and of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior, to Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Savior. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. The first thing that we've seen over and over, and I'm going to repeat it because it's important, is that hope always has an object. Hope always has an object. And then uh, we're going uh, to see uh, that this hope that we have is eternal in nature, and that hope, by its very nature, changes our lives. And then to end, to simply say that this hope is available to you today. So those four things. First, hope always has an object. You are hoping in something. You are placing your trust in something. There is a foundation to your life, whether you realize it or not. You may be a contemplative person, you may be a thoughtful person, and so you know what that is. You've thought it out, you have assured yourself of its stability, you have convinced yourself that it will pay the dividends that it has promised at the end of the day, but make no mistake, every single person in this room today and every single person you will bump into for the rest of your life are people of faith. They are people of hope. They are hoping in something. We are hoping in something. And so all hope has an object. The profound question, the, the million-dollar question, the eternal question uh, is this. What's the object of your hope? And if you don't know that, if you uh, kind of run back into, uh, no offense, but I will offend you, teenage boys, answer when you ask a teenage boy a deep question, the response is usually something like this. Well, I don't know. Well, what do you think about that? Well, you know, I don't know. And if I was to ask you, so what is the object of your hope? I don't know. Well, have you thought through it? I don't know. Why are you asking all these questions? Well, because it's important. Because this matters. 
More than anything else, this matters. So what's the object of your hope? Paul here says this. He says, friends, for the Christian, for those who have placed their faith in Christ, this object of our hope, being God, through his very sure promises, is a hope that is anchored into eternal life. He says, we hope in eternal life. That little word, in. We hope in something. There is something that our hope is attached to. And this description, which nuances from other descriptions, it doesn't uh, create uh, doubt on the other descriptions. It simply nuances it. It says that this hope that we have is in eternal life. That it is in eternal life. And we're going to unpack that in the next point. But this hope in eternal life is again based upon the sure promises of God. Look at verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time has manifested it to us in Christ. And so he's saying this. This isn't just some whim. This is a hope that is based upon the very promises of God who by his very nature cannot lie. That's a massive differentiation from he will not lie. It says that he cannot lie. He does not have the ability to lie. It is not within his personhood. That is not a choice that he has. He is immutable. He is unchanging. He cannot lie. And therefore, his promises to us, we can stake our hope deep down within them. And one of the promises is this. If you come unto my son, he will give you the gift of eternal life. For I so love the world, God speaking, for I so love the world that I gave my only begotten son, that whomsoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Whoever believes, not just cognitively, but whoever anchors the very hope of their soul to my son will be given eternal life. That's the object of our faith. That's the object of Uh, of our hope. And I would simply ask you this this morning. Be inquisitive about yourself. Be interested in what's going on on a spiritual level. Ask yourself those questions. What do I really hope in? What is it that I'm staking my life on? Because folks, that's incredibly important of how we approach this life question. So hope always has an object. And for the Christian and from the scripture, it says our object It's through and in the very promises of God and into eternal life. So now, second thing. Christian hope is eternal by nature. That we hope in eternal life. That what we see uh, is this picture of eternal life. That it does not have an ending. It actually doesn't have a beginning, uh, in a sense. It's saying it's eternal. It is without end. And for some people, you hear that and you're like, not interested in that. Because if eternal life that you're offering to me today, Bill, is simply an eternality of the life that I'm currently experiencing, I would rather not have it. Any of you feel that way? Even as good as your life is, if this is as good as it gets and it's going to hit repeat and replay for all eternity, how many of you would line up and sign up? Not many of us. Because we go, no, I'm not interested in that. There has to be something greater. But we often think this way. Think about how you've heard people who have gone to heaven and the life that they've experienced, how it's been described to you. 
I've told you before, when my father passed away, my father found one of his places of sanctuary was fishing. And I was going through some old pictures. Uh, We really had a great day yesterday. We thought, what better way to enjoy the presence of family in our home than to clean out closets? The boys were really excited about that, as was I. Lisa had three adolescents on her hands. I don't want to. I don't want to. And we're in there, and as I got into the closet, I found this box, and in this box was tons of pictures. And in these pictures were my memories of my life. And I found one of my dad holding up two bass, just holding them up. He was just brimming with smile. He was so excited. And it made me think back to after his funeral, someone said, hey, Bill, your dad is just in heaven eternally fishing and catching fish. And I've heard from others who like to play golf. Wow, they're just up in heaven enjoying what the best round of golf they've ever had. And I think that's too small. If that's all that heaven is, I don't want that. I want something that is so far greater than that. I want something that is as good as catching the biggest fish I've ever gotten and as good as a hole in one and as good as that, but it's so much bigger and greater than that that it's worth my very life. Wouldn't you agree with that? Because if heaven is just this life on repeat, keep it. I love my life, but I don't want this all the time, forever and ever. I'd like to not hurt. I'd like to not wrestle with pain. I'd like to not say goodbye to loved ones. I'd like to not deal with sin in my life. And that's the beauty of this eternal life. Because the eternal life that the scriptures say isn't just life that's not ending. It's a very basic difference of the nature of that life. Listen in Revelation chapter 21, the first five verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is uh, the Apostle John speaking. I saw a new heaven for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city that is the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with, be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And also he said, Write it down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He's saying, hey, this eternal life that we stake our hope in is an absolutely new life. It is a life that is eternal in its nature to have no end, but it is a life that is attached all the way back into the past, into Eden, where there was no suffering. There was beauty and perfection. There was this gloriousness that was there before sin entered into the world. It will be a place that says this, there's no more mourning There's no more tears. There's no more sadness. There's no more Alzheimer's. There's no more cancer. There's no more divorce. There's no more losing loved ones. There's no more of the sadness and the darkness that prevails as an undercurrent within the life that we live here. It is a place. It is an existence where we are made perfectly new. The old is gone and the new has come. And I don't know what that new is like. I will know that I am me, but I will be a totally different me. I'll be the glorified sense of myself that I'll be who God has created me to be in this eternal life. And that's my hope. 
And so I continue to plow through this life. I continue to live this life. I continue to absorb the blows of this life. I continue to embrace even the sadness and the dark and gloom of this life. And I know this, there's a hope that goes beyond it. It says one day, I'm going to feel great. One day, I'm not going to have to worry about the things that I worry about. One day, it's going to be worth it. It's eternal in this way. There will be no more effect of the fall. For you see, the fall came. That is the entrance of sin, the entrance of basically the ideology that says this, I can be my own God. At the very root of the fall was a distrust in God that he wasn't good and that his promises weren't sure and true. And so there's distrust that entered, and man supplanted God with himself and said, I will be my own God. And we've been wrestling with that ever since, by the way. And what happened at that very moment was disintegration happened. If all of creation was fully integrated with God, spiritually, physically, emotionally, all of that fully integrated, sin entered the world, and we have been experiencing the disintegration of that ever since. That we've seen in ourselves a disintegration of self that I'm not at peace, that I wrestle with my heart, uh, that I get angry, that I get sad, that I I move all over the place, that, that I'm not whole in this sense, that all of us are looking for some way to become whole. So there is a personal disintegration. There's a social disintegration that now there's conflict between me and you. There's conflict between uh, the races. There's conflict between uh, societies of wealth and of poverty, of educated and uneducated, of all of this. So you've seen a disintegration in that. There's a disintegration spiritually. It said that Adam and Eve, now because of the fall, hid themselves. And God said, where are you guys? What happened to us? What happened to the intimate relationship that we had? That was so fresh and beautiful and new. So there's a spiritual disintegration And there's a natural disintegration that it says all of creation groans under the effect of the fall. That we look around and we see that all of creation suffers under these things where there's drought and there's famine and there's all of this. And so what is happening, uh, listen to the great words of Isaac Watts in a a hymn that we're going to sing tonight. Joy to the world. No more let sins or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far. You ever thought about that? That the beauty of the eternal life that is offered to us in Christ is that Christ and the effects of his presence in our life and the effects of his kingdom in the world goes as far as the effect of the fall, the effect of the curse is found. And how far is the effect of the curse? It's everywhere. And that means, as a side note, by the way, that Christians need to be going everywhere. We need to enter into poverty. We need to enter into the political domain, into the social domain, into people's hearts, into people's lives, into relationships. We've got to go into all of these places as far as the curse is found because our hope is staked upon a beauty that says the Christian, with our hope, with the kingdom implanted in us, that where we go, we take this kingdom with us. And we take its flourishing with us. And we take its reintegration with us. It's a beautiful thing to see happen. The effect of Christ coming into the world this Advent is to bring a hope that has an effect as far as the curse is found. That in some sense, he's taking us back to Eden with one massive caveat. When God created the world in Eden, there was the opportunity or the ability to sin. In the new heaven and the new earth, 
in this eternal life that we've been given, there is no opportunity to sin. Isn't that great news? So you're not going to mess up again. It's all taken care of. It's all established in that. And so that's the hope that we have. Uh, This hope that we're anchored to, to through faith in Christ by the very promises of God is eternal in its nature. And this hope, it changes our lives. It affects you. By the way, what you're currently hoping in affects you. If you're a person who has no hope, guess what? That affects you. What would you call a person who has no hope? Hopeless. Hopeless. They have no hope. I know that's a simple question. Just making sure that you're with me. But we live in a world of people who have lost hope. That they have given up hope. And when you've given up hope, it affects your life. What are they like? What's it like to be around a hopeless person? Hope or the lack of it affects us. What you hope in affects us. If you're hoping in the things of this world, uh, then your joy, then your peace, then your confidence, then all of these things are going to go up and down with the circumstances of life. But for the believer, for the Christian, the hope that we have affects us in this way. Verse 4, to Titus, that is uh, a young pastor there, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace be with you, basically is what he said. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Grace and peace be with you. When you have this hope that is secured in Christ, there is a grace, there is a sense of which we rest in the full, beautiful, gracious gift of God, that we have experienced that grace, and by that you become a much more gracious person. Have any of you been wronged by somebody else in your life? Okay, this, actually, really, anybody? A few of you. We all have. How in the world can you extend grace to this person who doesn't deserve it? They did it intentionally. They intentionally hurt you. They intentionally deceived you. How do you do it? Well, for the believer, for the Christian, it says this. I don't have to well up within myself this ability to go, okay, I'm just going to forgive you. But we say this. I have been forgiven much. I have experienced the very grace of God. And therefore, this grace that I have received, I can now extend because it is not based on me. It, It frees us from needing to be the judge and jury. You can be an incredibly forgiving, gracious person because of the hope that you have that's planted into eternity through the very sure promises of God. If you're not a gracious person, if you're not a forgiving person, if you're one who demands justice, I want justice, I would tell you, no, you don't. You don't want justice. You might want it on someone else's head, but I promise you, you do not want it on your head. And Christ said, you don't want it on your head so much that I'm willing to take it on mine for you. I will step in your place and you will receive grace upon grace in that way. And so you receive grace and you receive peace that the effect of our life is that we are changed into gracious people and we're changed into flourishing people. The word shalom there, peace, has as a nuance within it this idea not just simply the absence of conflict, which it does have, but it has within it the beautiful picture of flourishing. For the person whose hope is in Jesus Christ, anchored to that eternal life through the promises of God, received as a very free gift, that all of a sudden there's a sense of flourishing that comes into our life. We experience a deeper and more profound joy. 
We have a deep confidence and we have, as it were, a sense of bravery that we can look at the world and stand with our feet firmly planted without being shaken because we know this. We have a flourishing within our life. We see the world differently. Something begins to come alive. And it says where we go, that shalom goes with us. And there's an extension of that flourishing. Let me ask you, does, the pres- does your presence in the life of your family bring about a flourishing? For the believer, it should. Not perfect, by the way, but it should bring about a flourishing that we're bringing this sense of shalom within every place that we go. It affects us. We're at peace. We talked about last week a little bit and the week before. We're not worriers. Now, I understand anxiety, and I understand worry, and I know that there are times when it's a, a chemical disposition. We need to deal with that. But there's a sense in which we come, and we are at peace. It's not this, whatever happens, happens. But there's a true sense of saying, I don't know what's going to happen. And I've worked my tail off to get to the conclusion that I'd like to get to. But at the end of the day, God, I trust you. And I'm going to go, in, this, in the Psalms, it says, God gives to his people, to his children, sleep. I have owned that verse, by the way. Lisa will tell you. I just don't not sleep at night. Because I've just figured out, maybe it's just a gift, and I know it's a gift from God, to say this, my worrying doesn't help. My fretting doesn't help. My pacing doesn't help God. What helps my soul is to come. And when those things enter in, and they enter into all of our lives, and those triggers enter, we go back and we say this, God, let me do an inventory real quick. Why am I anxious? Okay, where's my anchor? Where's it tied? Where's the rope going? Where's it tethered to? And it's this. Oh, it's over here. Well, no wonder. Why so downcast, oh, my soul? Your hope isn't in God anymore. Your hope is in yourself. Your hope is in your situation. Your hope is in here. So let's do this. Let's actively move our hope back to the place it's supposed to be. Now, that can be that fast, or it can take hours and days and weeks, but you're still aggressively attacking it. You see, Christianity is an active faith that's constantly moving and bringing this hope back, for our hope changes our lives. It affects us. Next week, we're going to look at some of the other fruits, as it were, uh, of hope, of joy, of confidence, of boldness and security. The last thing I'd say uh, to you today is this. This hope, this hope's available to you today. This hope is available to you today. It it is something that is freely offered to you by Christ in the gospel for you to either accept or to reject. You don't have to do anything in order to gain it. Isn't that great news? Did anybody buy Christmas presents this year? You know, I found a really cool deal on Amazon. I got an email that says, Bill, I'd like to just give you everything for free. No cost involved. And I was like, this is fantastic. And then I got an email from Visa that said, hey, Bill, you know that little balance you've got? Don't worry about it. We took care of it. It's gone. Got a letter from the mortgage company. Bill, we just decided not to charge you for your house. It's free. Anybody else get those emails? Neither did I. Because everything has a cost in this world. Everything has a cost except this. Folks, if you want to receive and accept a free gift today, this is it. And it is basically saying this today. I'm going to move my hope from wherever else I have put it 
in myself, in my family, in my career, in my goodness, in all of these other things, and I'm going to move it today by faith, and I'm going to place it into Christ, and I'm going to pray a simple prayer that goes like this. God, today, you're my hope. God, today, would you come and be my hope? For I give myself to you today, and would you be my peace, and would you be my life? It's a really simple prayer. And so as we go to prayer this morning, I'd encourage you, don't leave without dealing with eternity. We're all going to face it, either with the Lord in heaven or without him in hell. But that's the reality of it. And so today, let's deal with these things. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are who you are and that we can trust you for you never lie and that you were so kind to us that instead of making us wander about in the darkness unable to find you, you came and you penetrated into the darkness with the sheer light of Christ and you gave us the hope of the gospel and then you preserved all of this truth within your word so that we can have it, read it today, hear about it today and we can come today and that we can give ourselves to you fully, and that you will be our hope, and that you'll never let us down, that you will be our joy, that you will be our peace, that you will be our very life. And so I pray that there are some here today who needed to hear that, and I pray that they would move their anchor from whatever else it's anchored to, and they would anchor it to you, and they would find in you a hope that they've never experienced before one that reaches into eternity, and one whose promises are always yes and amen. Would you receive all the glory today as we sing to you, our God and our Father, for we know that you hold us fast and that you will never leave us nor forsake us or lose us from your grip. To Christ be all the glory. Amen.